I do think there's a lot of questions out there. Most questions are about other people. You know, what we learned early, I think, in a Kranzberg poll was that people are not as afraid of going into an event as they are of the other people at the event, that they will follow the same rules and have the same sense that they do. Even as many businesses reopen in this pandemic, theater has stayed off stage. Joe Hanrahan will change that later this month. Theater has been particularly cautious. The larger the group, the, the more complex the production, uh, the more difficult it is to take care of all these details. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. On October 29th, Eric Bogosian's Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll opens at the Black Box Theater of the Kranzberg Arts Center. It's the first indoor theatrical production the city has greenlit during this pandemic. The producer is St. Louis's Midnight Company, and it's also received an ArtSafe certification from the Missouri Arts Council. That's a special program developed during this pandemic, and here today to discuss it with us is Michael Donovan. He's the executive director of the Missouri Arts Council. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Michael, can you hear me? I'm hoping Michael is with us, um, but in the meantime, we will go to our second guest, and that is Joe Hanrahan. Uh, he is the artistic director of Midnight Company, and he is the star of this new one-man show. So, Joe, welcome. Thanks. It's uh, good to be here. So, Joe, so many theaters have moved their productions online. What made you want to attempt something in person as opposed to a Zoom-type show? Well, I think everybody, even those doing many Zoom shows, would like to do something in person. Mm -hmm. um, I had um, several shows scheduled in, in the early fall. I'm a resident uh, company at the Kranzberg Arts Center, and they've been working since the beginning of this to try to see how arts could be brought back safely. Uh, it was a, uh, about August where a couple of doors seemed to open. One, they indicated that the city of St. Louis was ready to accept some one-time proposals about some events. And two, it was around that time that I heard of the Missouri Art Safe program uh, from the Missouri Arts Council. So um, uh, it was at that time I started uh, working to do the things necessary for uh, the show to open safely. Well, and that is a perfect segue to our second guest, who I understand is now with us, and, and that's Michael Donovan, the executive director of the Missouri Arts Council. Michael, are you there now? I am, Sarah. Thank you. Okay. Well, we're so glad that you can join us. And as Joe was saying, you know, there are a lot of theater companies. They, they've moved to Zoom, but they're not loving Zoom. They would like to find a way to be back in person. So how did this ArtSafe certification come about as, as a way to facilitate that? Well, it came about from a consortium of arts organizations in both St. Louis and Kansas City, about 20 of them, that call themselves the Missouri Arts Safety Alliance. And they recognized that there was a need to prepare for uh, learning about the best practices in producing art for the public during the pandemic, um, to learn, to get trained, to learn about universal measures, and the feeling that their certification would give the public and the artists some sense of confidence that the organizations had paid attention to some necessary details about presenting. So sort of this is the seal of approval. If, if a production is, is as safe as, as the state wants it to be, it's going to have this certification. Right. They're, they're basically agreeing to follow uh, eight 
sections where they pledge to address facial coverings, social distancing, health checks, contact tracing, uh, contactless experience, reducing capacity, and enhancing sanitation. And there's also training, specific training for their staff and volunteers in this. Did you ever discuss the idea that doing theater indoors might be just too risky, that there's no certification that can make people feel good about this because we're in a pandemic? Well, we're not suggesting that this is the time for people to open. And certainly there are three things that they have to consider when they do decide to open. One of them is what are the local requirements? Mm-hmm. And as Joe pointed out, the city's requiring that they they um, pass certain standards and being part of Missouri Arts Safe in St. Louis is one of the things they take into consideration. Mm-hmm. And also they need to understand whether their audience is ready to come back and different audiences are ready at different times. And finally, they need to decide whether they have the resources and the focus on, on doing what's necessary because there's a lot of work involved and presenting safely. So you're saying if companies are going to do this, this gives them a path to do it. You're not you're not encouraging them to do it. You're not saying they have to do it, but if they want to do it, here's a path to do it. Exactly. It's not required. It's um, there's no cost. There's no deadline. Um, but this is a way to to learn about what's necessary. So Joe Michael talked about um, some of these key areas that companies have to be willing to do. Um, what was the most difficult as as far as things went for midnight? Was there anything that you looked at and said, "I don't know if we can pull this off?" Uh, not really, uh, because uh, I'm fortunate enough to be uh, uh, presenting in a, a resident company at the Kranzberg. Mm-hmm. They will they have their own COVID plan uh, that they've been working on and established early. They will also have people at performances, safety officers, to help monitor. Um, my COVID plan, which I had to write uh, for certification and, and for the Kranzberg, too, focused specifically on this production. I, I had a lot of other great plans from other organizations to follow. And I suppose the only thing really different is that we have, um, we have brought in more front-of-house people, uh, a house or audience manager, and, and uh, some other people that will, that will help um, monitor the audience and monitor everything that happens. So uh, other than that, we're a very stripped-down, basic, one-person show, which is maybe only the kind of show you can do right now. Yeah. Uh, and so we're trying to take every step to make sure we're, um, we're uh, following the rules and, uh, and, and, and doing everything we can. Michael also mentioned that this is also a question of, is the audience ready? Do you get the sense that, that St. Louis theatergoers are ready to go back in person? Maybe a few. I mean, I'm certainly hearing from some folks you know, both in the, the theater press and different areas and saying we're not going anywhere yet. So, um, but I, I, I am hoping, uh, you know, that we have um, a few folks. Uh, one of the uh, stipulations in all of these um, rules is um, um, decreased capacity. We, mm-hmm. we will only have 20 people per performance in socially distant seating. So, and with a one-person show, if, if we get half of them per show, it'll, it'll, it'll seem like an audience. So I, I do think there's a lot of questions out there. Most questions are about other people. You know, w- what we learned early, I think, in a Kranzberg poll was that people are not, not, not af- as afraid of going into an event as they are of the other people at the event, that they will follow the same rules and have the same sense that they do. Yeah, I think that, that that's, you know, that's certainly how I feel. And, and from talking to some of my friends about various options out there right now, I'm less worried that someone's going to hand me, say, a, a bulletin that has germs on it, and more that I might be seated, say, 10 feet away from somebody who ends up coughing. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, I understand that, you know, you can have a much lower capacity within that theater. 20 people, if you get a sick person in there, um, 
um, you know, there's a chance that that could happen. Um, but it, it sounds like for you, Joe, you felt pretty sure this is something, these were risks that you wanted to take. What about that in-person theater experience has you saying, you know what, I, I want to go for this? Um, I, I, I think it was the urge uh, that all of us in theater, performing arts have, and then the uh, the umbrella of safety that... Um, that the Kranzberg and the Arts Council have provided and that the city has encouraged. And, and, and given that there's all that support uh, along with uh, the, the desire to, to, to be, be in, present something, I, I, I think that's, that's what happened. And just as we've been rehearsing this, there's, there's an excitement that I, I, I feel will be, you know, will continue to, uh, to, to drive what we're doing and hopefully uh, will engage the audience as well of My- live performance. Yeah. Michael, it sounds like the Kranzbergs and some others who are active here in the St. Louis arts community, they've been very proactive about this. This was something that was important to them to get these kind of certifications and programs in place. Absolutely. Uh, Chris Hansen, the executive director and the Kranzberg Arts Foundation, have been a driving force in this. And their, their original plan was kind of the original prototype for what a plan could look like and what the universal measures were. And they also paid and produced the, the training, which is a nine-minute video that's very accessible and easy to share with, with staff and volunteers. Hmm. So this is something where um, your organization, which is a state organization, you didn't even have to pay for this. They, they came up with a way to fund it privately. That's correct. And, and we were then able to take this resource and share it with the whole state, mm-hmm. bring in Kansas City and even all the small rural areas throughout the state, anybody in that area. And they don't even have to be a nonprofit or an individual artist. They can be a for-profit business who's producing and presenting art as well. So, Michael, we mentioned that uh, Joe's production is the first in the city to get its seal of approval. Um, have you seen other productions that are going on in other cities or in other parts of the state where they've been working with this ArtSafe program? Not live at this point. Okay. Uh, theater has been particularly cautious, and I, I'm not aware of any that are scheduled before the end of the year. Okay, so none even until the end of the year. Wow, Joe, you right. are a real um, trailblazer here. <laughs> does that give you a, how does that make you feel, I guess, knowing that, that this could be it as far as even the, the calendar year goes? Uh, no, I, I, I'm trying to not lay any special special feelings on top of that, but treat it as a regular production, you know, along with the safety things. But, you know, one of the, um, one of the real um, the fears of, of theater, one of the reasons theater isn't happening is that, a lot of theater, most theater, the biggest, and the biggest theater that most people like to go to, musicals, for example, involve dozens of people, mm-hmm. backstage, onstage, uh, orchestras, and, and, and actors' equity uh, has really been a force in terms of making sure that anybody thinking about doing this will follow all the rules. And that's why our show with a, one actor and during the production, one stage manager, that's all we will need in terms of producing this after we've put it together is possible, I think. Yeah, it seems like in many cases, the fear isn't even as big for the audience. The fear is that the actors have to be so close with each other, and there's so many people involved in these small areas backstage Mm -hmm. that that's the greatest concern. Uh, Michael, is that something you've heard from other theater companies, or is the word on the street as far as this program goes? Absolutely. Joe's absolutely right. The larger the group, the the more complex the production, uh, the more difficult it is to take care of all these details. So do you think if Joe can pull this off, if he has a successful run in this show, that we'll see maybe other one-man shows? This will become the big trend in, in St. Louis theater and in Missouri theater. 
I think that that would be encouraging. I, I think you know a lot of people are going to be looking at this, whether they go to the performance or not, and seeing how this works and seeing what comes out of that. Michael, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about today, and that's in your role at the Arts Council. You deal with organizations across the state, and this just is mm-hmm. such a scary time for, for so many people um, in the economic sense, not just in the germ sense. How mm-hmm. are Missouri's arts organizations doing right now? As Overall, do you get the sense they're hanging in there and they're going to be able to weather this storm, or are we going to see a lot of them go under? We're going to see, we're going to lose our organizations, and that's unfortunate uh, because I think that the impact on the communities that they're in is going to be affected as well. Uh, not just the audiences, but the businesses and the arts organizations, I mean, the, the schools and others that depend on these creative institutions and organizations are going to be um, uh, at a disadvantage without them. So we're hoping to minimize that. We're hoping it won't happen more than it needs to, but it will definitely happen. And is there anything we can do? Obviously, there aren't shows going on other than this one show, and and we're going to talk to Joe more about that in just a minute, but um, if you have a a favorite local arts organization in their community, is there anything we can do to help them? Well, I think a lot of the organizations have turned to virtual programming, and I think it's important for them to stay engaged with their audiences and for their audiences to stay engaged with the organizations that they want to see sustained. Well, Michael Donovan, Executive Director of the Missouri Arts Council, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. And we're also talking to Joe Hanrahan. His one-man show, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, opens later this month at the Black Box Theater of the Cranesburg Arts Center. And we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue our conversation with Joe, and we'll learn a lot more about that show. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today to Joe Hanrahan of the Midnight Company. And when Joe decided to resume live theater in St. Louis, he chose a play by Eric Bogosian to do it. That play is called Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll. So, Joe, what about this play seemed right for this moment that we're in? Well, the, uh, the best thing about it was that it was a one-person show, which is... Uh, That's so critical. I, I've done a number of those in my past theatrical life, and I had to... Uh, so I, uh, I had kind of late warning to do this show. I didn't have a lot of time to choose a script, get the rights, and, and rehearse it. So uh, I, I looked at some of the past scripts I'd done, and uh, I looked at this script, and it immediately leapt out uh, of the page to me. Not only is it brilliant writing and very satirical, very funny, but... I also had a sense that even though it's a few years old, it was very right for our times. You know, the bottom line, uh, you know, kind of message of our takeaway from this show, it, it, it presents uh, hypocrisy. Hmm. You know, so, some, somewhat a little veiled, but sometimes fairly obvious, but all very still with us and still so relevant in all the things we're battling with. Hmm. So people might know Eric Bogosian, even if they don't know that they know him. Um, he played a, a pretty big supporting uh, part on Succession. He plays the Bernie Sanders-style um, candidate for president, if that rings a bell. He was also on Billions. You knew his work long before that. What first put Eric Bogosian on your radar? 
Well, there was a, uh, uh, when, I, when I first did it, it, it was, uh, I, I, I never anticipated doing a, a one-person show in my life. The only one-person shows at, the, at that time were big names doing big names, like James Whitmore doing uh, uh, Will Rogers and Truman and Hal Holbrook and Julie Harris doing Emily Dickinson. That was the only kind of one-person show that I think theaters would 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 counter but uh, someone uh, a, a guy in town a, a lawyer named bob herman um, was aware of eric bogosian he'd seen me do another play and he said i want to produce this i want to produce radical theater left-wing uh, uh, you know interesting theater and i want you to do this so i was terrified to jump into it but i i worked in it, it, it i learned how to do it and since then um, I, I've learned how to do these type of shows and have found a lot of great ones. You know, mm. one-person shows are, are very hard, but they're very convenient. Yeah, I mean, they, they do seem perfect for a pandemic, but for yeah. a performer, they seem terrifying. What's the hardest part of performing a show where it's all you, this whole thing rests on you knowing where you are in the script and, and creating this full cast? I think it's the preparation, and it's more the physical, mental health, you know, than anything else. It's like... Being ready to go out there and having the, the physical energy and the mental energy to being to be to be able to stay on top of it and stay with it the whole time. That's really the the struggle. Then you know each show has its own demands. This one is is kind of particularly challenging. Bogosian's typical style, and he's done done a number of shows like this. Is he presents. 12 different solos, as he calls them, 12 different men. And each one of these men, you know, some of them are not really, uh, you know, bad guys or some are kind of gentle, but but they're all deluded and they're all (laughs) delusional and kind of half mad in their own way. So they're very separate individual. So, you know, coming up with and then delivering the voice and the, and the physical mannerisms of these people um, uh, is, is very challenging for this show. Yeah, that sounds incredibly challenging. I, you know, I often read aloud to my kids and I have the great big daddy bear voice and the yeah, wee yeah. little baby bear voice, but that's like two voices. How do you come up with 12 distinct people without each of them just kind of sounding like you? Uh, some of them are, uh, you know, uh, kind of, uh, they, they present themselves in a way they're kind of obvious. But, uh, but I have a good, very good director, John Wolbers, who is, uh, is working with me on every one of these and, uh, and making them distinct. And then uh, you, you want to make each character different than the rest. So some you just have to devise, you know, uh, an approach that, that is not only unique to that character, but different than the other 11. Yeah. Do you have distinct uh, pieces of wardrobe for each of these characters? Just a little bit. You know, Bogosian would do it incredibly simple. I had a chance to, you know, he's on video, and I've had a chance to see him once. He, appe- he appeared at Wash U, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And he, he basically just does it not, with nothing on stage, just a, wears a black shirt and black jeans, and that's it. Hmm. And that's my basic uniform. But I think we're going to be just, you know, throwing a couple of, an odd coat or an odd hot hat or odd type of glasses occasionally on to kind of just make it a little more distinct. Also, you know, uh, we have a good lighting designer, Tony Anselmo, uh, who is, uh, hope, hope gives each of these uh, kind of a different look and makes it seem like you're looking at a whole different world. Hmm. You also mentioned just the energy that's required to get through this much time on stage mm-hmm. when it's yeah. all you. Do you train uh, physically to, to get your stamina up to the point where you can handle a show like this? Indeed, yeah. I mean, and I'll be ramping it up over these next few weeks, uh, continuing to walk. I'm a, I'm a tennis player, and I, when I was younger, uh, 
um, when I had a one-person show come up, I, I had the opportunity, the luxury, really, to be able to go to a tennis camp mm. for, uh, for a week, kind of a couple of weeks before we'd open. So I, I was out in the sun for like four or five hours a day. And so, you know, I, I thought that was the best possible preparation physically for a show. I don't, I'm not really doing that now, of course, but, uh, but I am playing tennis, and I am uh, I'm doing a lot of walking and running around. Hmm, so you have to stay fit to pull off yeah. one of these. Um, I saw an interview you did with St. Louis Public Radio's Nancy Fowler, I believe it was about a year ago now, and uh-huh. and yeah. you told her, I like to be scared of a show. What, what yeah. do you mean by that? Well, there, I always have two criteria for doing a show. One is like it, it has to be such a cool story that I want to like grab you by the lapels and tell you. you know, I just don't want to do a show. I want to say, you got to hear this. And the second thing, by scared, I mean... Um, I, I want to be challenged. Uh, I, if, a show, if I look at a show and I like it, but I go, can I pull this off? I don't know. That's, that's when I really know I want to do it because it gives you a, a moon to shoot for. So the last time you did this particular show, um, you won some serious raves for this. I, I read yep. with the Riverfront Times review. It was just, I mean, this was one of those raves that I think you should have framed on your wall. It was yep. so good. Um, here's what they said in their review. They said, Joe Hanrahan leads the audience on a one-man tour of these large largely despicable men, refugees of the drug-fueled 1970s who were scattered to the wind during the blustery me decade. Less a play than a piece of performance art, sex, drugs, rock and roll is brilliant, savagely funny, discomforting, and wildly different from most offerings you'll see on St. Louis stages these days. Such a rave. Were you worried about trying to revisit something that, that seems to have gone off perfectly last time? You're not just battling there with the script, but also your own past performance. Uh, not really. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I, I know there are some people who haven't seen this, so I'm, I'm hoping you know, if we can draw a few people that a few of those will come see this new thing. But, but it's, uh, especially with a good director like I have, I mean, I'm finding new life in all of these things and a new way of doing it. I mean, I think in a, a couple of Bogosian shows I've done in the past, I've kind of like aped him a little bit. I've kind of been almost like a stand-up comic doing mm-hmm different bits, but we're really working on the presentational aspects of this so that each of these characters are a little bigger, a little more of a show, a little more distinct um, as opposed to like one guy doing 12 different characters. And so um, that, that's, that's, that's uh, exciting me. And, and like, um, you know, the reviews, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm happy for that one, and you know, uh, certainly. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, you mentioned that the director brings something to, to these yeah. plays as well. And, and you do have a different director this time around. What is it like approaching the same script, but with a different director at the helm? Well, I think it, uh, it it brings fresh eyes to it and a whole fresh take. I mean, I love the directors I had in the past. Rachel Tibbetts of uh, of uh, Slightly Askew Theater Company did it in the past. The previous time she did her own take on it, her own approach. John's doing his own approach and bringing everything he has with it. And it really, uh, you know, it, it makes for a whole new experience uh, for me uh, in, in doing these things. But but really, I mean, I, I you know, I'm just uh, I'm 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 resting on the laurels and the brilliance of Eric Bogosian. The writing in this is just terrific. You know, it's just it's 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 not easy for the audience. It challenges them. I I really believe in some of their beliefs and some of their takes on on things. But it's also deeply entertaining and funny. Well, you make a great case that if somebody is ready to go see live theater again, this is the show to do it. I have to ask, though, I know you were um, hoping this fall to do a show about Harry Truman yeah, instead. Yeah. And and boy, does that just seem so perfect for this political moment we're in. Oh, why did you have to move from that plan? Uh, the um, uh, 
the, the theater we were working in, which is another Kranzberg theater, is the Dot Zack. It was scheduled to be in September. And um, it, it, that has a certain um, uh, uh, space, uh, a projection system, um, and, and really kind of a, a, a little more a little more space needed to, to, to kind of present Truman in the Oval Office as the, as the play does. Uh, the Kranzberg Black Box is much more intimate, more off-Broadway, and, uh, and I, I really didn't think Truman would work quite as well in that. It would also be a little later than I hoped. I wanted to do it in September. I was doing it for sheer political reasons. I was hoping that the, the, the non-theater press, editorials and other stuff, might catch wind of it and might, might spend a little more time on Harry and mm. try to present to the public what it's like to have a decent person in the White House. So you'd seen it as, as a bit of a contrast um, that you were hoping might influence hearts and minds. Uh, I did, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Strengthen and, them and, 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 and make them aware, too. I mean, I don't know. What I, I've done the Truman Show before, too, and when I did it, there are a lot of people alive who knew him, and there's not as many now, but, uh, you know, he's still somebody to, uh, to I think, um, be, be aware of and look up to. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're going to be here in the Black Box Theater doing sex, drugs, rock and roll. What's next on your agenda after this show has its run? We have a couple of rescheduled shows uh, scheduled uh, next uh, next year. Uh, there's a show I wrote called Now Playing Third Base for the St. Louis Cardinals, Bond, James Bond, that I've done at the St. Louis Fringe Festival. I'll be doing that next July at the chapel, if all goes well. If, hopefully we're, we're in a lot better shape than I don't know. And then the show I was originally going to do in October that Sex Drugs is replacing is called It Is Magic by Chicago's uh, Michael Maher. And we've got that rescheduled for next October at the Black Box. Well, I feel like you're, you're also leaving out something pretty interesting, unless this got canceled as well. And that is, I understand that this fall, um, you're going to be playing Harvey Weinstein and <laughs> Alan Dershowitz. Is that yes. is that still happening? Uh, yes, uh, yes, it is. It's uh, The Rogue Theater uh, in New York has a... Uh, uh, has a short play festival. I think it's in December. I've just been starting to deal with this now, but uh, it's all going to be done virtually. But uh, there's a playwright uh, in New York who's kind of uh, I found through. They found me through a mutual source, and uh, and uh, we'll be we'll be recording that, and that'll be appearing in 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 December. Yeah, the title of her play is The Cockroach of Broadway, and um, it's a rogue theater. I think uh, is presenting work as its name implies. It's 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 kind of off the beaten path stuff. Yeah. Wow. Well, that sounds like. Some- interesting stuff. And and man, I guess after you do 12 different people trying to do Weinstein and Dershowitz, uh, that's going to be a piece of cake. So, (laughs) well, Joe Hanrahan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.